The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com on this edition of the yahoo sports college podcast we'll play a game of hopeless versus hopeful set up texas a&m's big opportunity against clemson and discuss the merits of proposing marriage to your girlfriend via a cow Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, check out the rest in the growing Yahoo Sports Podcast Network. We have podcasts for NFL fans, MLB fans, and fans looking for an edge in fantasy. Just go to Apple Podcasts or the store of your choice and search Yahoo Sports. All right, welcome to the show. My name is Dan Wetzel. I'm joined by the esteemed Pat Forty. No Pete Thamel this week. He is traveling. Uh, week two of the season is coming. Week one delivered a number of terrible performances, which we discussed on the Overreaction Monday edition of this podcast, which if you missed is a reminder of why you need to subscribe to the podcast, because you don't want to miss any of this. However, in our quest to forever focus on the negative, (laughs) it's already time to play some hopeless or hopeful and either completely write off someone's season after one week or provide a faint heartbeat which will then get squashed later. That's how we do That's it here. That's how we do right? it, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's start with Florida State, which didn't just lose to Virginia Tech on Monday, prime time with everybody watching. Uh, terrible beginning for Coach Willie Taggart, his first game. Uh, they looked awful in doing all of this. Uh, I could give a grocery list of stats. Bad penalties, dumb decisions, poor poor strategy, everything. Let me give you this, just this one, Pat. 56% of FSU's offensive plays went for either a loss or no gain. 
I did not think this was even possible. I don't know if there's a record for this in seminal history, but uh, I, I don't see how it could have been done. Uh, Pat, considering game one was such a bust, are the Seminoles hopeless or are they still Oh, they're hopeless. Uh, yes, let's let's by all means, if we're going to emphasize the negative, there's nothing more <laughs> negative than Florida State this week. I am sorry. That was an awful, awful performance. My favorite stat, that's, the thing, you, that's a very good stat you had. My favorite stat was Cam Akers, the running back. I think it was 14 carries for 82 yards with a long run of 85, which means the other 13 resulted in a negative three. <laughs> that's not very good. Their offensive line was a disaster. They had five turnovers. They couldn't line up. They, oh, they couldn't do anything right. And this was at home against a Virginia Tech team that was rebuilding. I, now, I was impressed with Virginia Tech, but my gosh, you're Florida State, man. What the heck has happened to Florida State? They were 7-6 and six last year. This team looks like it could be lucky to be 7-6 and six after that performance. And the one thing I will say about Willie Taggart, who I think was a good hire, and I think will still be able to be a good coach there. I'm not, you know, you certainly don't change your mind off of one game. But Dan, watching him, he just looked so passive on the sideline. And I understand letting your coordinators work and all that, but he just didn't look engaged or maybe, you know, I don't know if he was intimidated or what, but he's got to, I think, inject himself a little bit more for the sake of the players and maybe for the sake of his staff too and, and kind of uh, get things going a little bit there. I just, I was, I was really perplexed just watching him stand there like he was almost kind of scared to even open his mouth to do anything. Yeah, I think at one point Willie Taggart on the sideline was uh, had his hands on his head uh, in the uh, surrender cobra position, which it's not uh, what you, the look you want from your head coach. Quite no. a visual. No, no, bad enough when they catch the fans doing that, uh, and I can see why FSU fans are are concerned. Uh, there was not that fire, and I, I don't know why. Uh, he is a smooth guy, he's a laid back guy. I think you connect very well with players. Um, Willie Taggart is a is a is I like Willie Taggart. He's a pretty interesting guy to talk to. Um, but you know, he had one year at Oregon who knows, maybe this is it. Maybe it didn't, um, you can't judge it by one game, but this was bad. And, you know, maybe Jimbo Fisher knew what yeah. he was doing by, uh, putting that Christmas tree <laughs> out and, and heading to Texas A&M. He, he may have been well aware that what last year was not just a fall apart, but whatever they had recruited and Florida state always recruits well on paper, but he may have known Look, we got a lot of work to do, and if I can jump now, I got seventy-five million to start in in College Station. Uh, where if I go two of these, all of a sudden uh, everything falls apart for me. So that's a kind of an interesting thing. To it is, you know, to. that's the thing uh, you do wonder if uh, if he kind of appraised the depth chart and the guys and said, "Man, we are in a, a bit of a trough here, and it's not going to get better." And you can, you like I said, you can excuse, uh, you can excuse one season, especially when your starting quarterback goes down in the season opener. But uh, it, the the problems there may well go past the quarterback position and and DeAndre Francois and to a lot of other uh, issues that they've got there. Certainly that offensive line, my goodness, they didn't block anybody all night. Um, you know the defense, they've certainly they got players there and they've got they they can do some things, but. Uh, They've got, uh, I think, some significant uphill sledding to do, and it's a tough schedule. You know, I mean, they've uh, the ACC is by no means great, but they've got three ACC road games in the next five. 
Uh, at, at Syracuse, at Louisville, at Miami, they've got Clemson coming there. They're at Notre Dame. They've got Florida, which looks better at the end. They've got Boston College at the end. Seven and six could be uh, could be the sunny side compared to what we saw the first night. All right. We got one hopeless <laughs> already. Love it. Round two, Michigan. Hey, lost to Notre Dame. Looked uninspired in doing so. It's year four for Jim Harbaugh. He does not get the benefit of his former assistant, Willie Taggart, who worked for Harbaugh. And uh, played for the Harbaugh. Will, Jim Harbaugh actually recruited Willie Taggart to Western Kentucky for his dad while Jim Harbaugh was still the co- playing uh, the quarterback for yeah. the Chicago Bears. Quite a good, pretty good yeah. little story there. Uh, he was doubling up to try to help his dad. So anyway, good segue by me. Well I done. Think. We have now reached the stage in Ann Arbor where the coach is battling with former star players about the pro- the state of the program. <laughs> uh, Always oh, yeah. fun. Braylon Edwards, great Wolverine All-American back in the day, tweeted during the game against Notre Dame that quarterback Shea Patterson looked scared. Lineman Cesar Ruiz was weak, and he summed it all up quite quite beautifully by stating, uh, effing Michigan's offense so predictable, Michigan football is sadly one thing, trash. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you really feel. Braylon. Oh. Now, <laughs> that's good stuff. Uh, Harbaugh blasted back saying Braylon Edwards shouldn't have called out the individual players. Braylon Edwards, to his credit, agreed and apologized and said it wasn't fair. As a former student athlete, he should have known better. However, Braylon did not back down on this whole thing. Uh, he told the Detroit News, and here's his quote uh, on his tweet, I admit I was excessive and emotional and inebriated. Mix those together. But the focus of my tweets remains intact. I stand by that. I was over excessive Saturday night at 1029, but I don't back down on my overall stance as an alum and a fan. And he goes on a little bit more. Uh, Let's start right off the top. Excessive, emotional, and inebriated. That is going on my tombstone. That is... That might actually describe this entire yes. podcast at times. Excessive, emotional, inebriated. <laughs> we, can we change the name of the podcast to the Excessive, Emotional, and Inebriated Podcast? This is, Braylon Edwards is a poet. Who knew? Uh, oh, I love it. I love the honesty. Uh, that's for sure. And... Uh, just it's like, yeah, yeah, man, I was drunk and angry. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? Every Michigan fan was yes, drunk and angry. That's right. Um, um, when uh, Braylon is more likable than the coach at this point, are we hopeless? <laughs> Pat, are we hopeful? We are veering towards hopeless, but not there yet, Dan Wetzel. That's my appraisal of this. Um, like I, I mean, I wrote the column from the game and said that uh, – you know, it sounds like and feels like the beginning of the end for Jim Harbaugh just because they had put an awful lot into this game and into being improved over last year, and they weren't. They were the same old Michigan in so many ways, despite having all those players back, despite adding a playmaking quarterback. Um, and then, you know, when when you when you build things up like that and you turn around and turn in that big of a dud performance, then people are going to – there's going to be backlash, and it includes the former players who are – excessive, emotional, inebriated, and in possession of Twitter. Uh, you, you know, that that sort of thing happens. But 
I, I do think, look, the opportunities are certainly there with the schedule for more big wins. Now, they've, they've got to do it. They, they have, as, as Braylon Edwards pointed out to Angelique Shingelis of the uh, Detroit News, uh, you know, their one win against Michigan State or Ohio State was a 3-9 and nine Michigan State team. Uh, they're going to have to beat decent teams this year to rally any kind of hope and belief that Jim Harbaugh can be the savior he's being paid to be. Uh, it can still happen, but I don't have a lot of hope that it's going to. So I'm probably closer to hopeless than hopeful. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, uh, I'm with you closer to hopeless, uh, but I'm going to give a little hope. They were playing on the road against the Notre Dame team that played very well. And I, I guess there's two ways to look at it. One was there was a number of, of Brandon Winbush long 50-50 passes that Notre yep. Dame won. So maybe that's unlucky, or maybe it's just Notre Dame wanted it more and won those passes and really set the tone for the game. But I thought the, the Michigan season would be determined by the stretch in November or October where they get, they get Wisconsin, they go to Michigan State, and they get Penn State at home. I thought those three games will determine it. They need to win two or three. I'm going to tell you what. After watching how bad they were offensively, I'm not so sure they are guaranteed to get through the three-game stretch at the end of September, early October. Nebraska visiting at Northwestern, and then Maryland, who might be yep. pretty good, visiting. Uh, can they win all three of those? What if they drop one? What if Nebraska comes in and beats them, and they start two and two or so? This can go off the rails in a hurry. So uh, I will I will allow for some hope, but man. I think Braylon and uh, Braylon's all right, and he is now a friend of the podcast. <laughs> he gave us our our new our yes, new credo. I've done some Absolutely. media work with him. I, that's how I want to go through life. <laughs> that is how I want to go through life. Moving on to the great state of Texas, hopeless versus hopeful. Uh, I got a friend. Uh, I will name drop Aaron Garza, a good friend of mine. He is a Longhorn alum and uh, big fan and. He told me uh, the other day or Sunday over the weekend, he said that right after the game, one of his friends texted him and said, Tom Herman cried in the post-game press conference. And he texted back and said, really? And he said, no, but he should have. So I think that is the, uh, the spot where, where Longhorn fans are. By Sunday, Herman was back giving a press conference and uh, he went literary. He invoked John Steinbeck's great of mice and men and basically saying the Texas lost because they wanted to win too badly. I quote, this is Herman. Lenny wanted so badly to touch the rabbit and play with the rabbit. He squeezed it so hard. He killed the rabbit. If you recall this from the book and I'm sure our podcast listenership really did a lot of their summer reading back in the day. Uh, so I won't try to explain it. Anyway, that happened in Of Mice and Men. I, you should have read it sophomore year. Bunch of bozos. <laughs> I know that seems a little, maybe a little out there, Herman said. I think that's what the first quarter was. We wanted it so badly, we got in our way quite a bit. We are now at the stage of the program where the coach is quoting literature, which I appreciate, actually. So good on Tom. It is much better than some cheesy motivational phrasing like brick by brick or win the day or grind or whatever the heck you got. Pat, is the sign of Steinbeck coming hopeful or hopeless? Hey, I will, I will hold out hope for any coach that can quote Steinbeck. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and I agree with you 
we are not, it's not hashtag morning grind or, or any of that. You know, this is a little higher level stuff from Tom Herman. <laughs> Way to go, Tom. Now, if only you could back it up by winning some games. Stop killing the rabbit. Win some games. If they if it's just a matter of loosening up, that's fine. But do it. Don't talk about it. Do it. You can't lose back-to-back season openers to Maryland and expect that fan base to get on board and just say, oh, well, okay, now that we understand it's a mice and men situation, we're good. No, they're going to have to back this up with some actual performance now. And I... I think it can happen. I, you know, I, I don't look at that at their schedule and see that, that it's hopeless. Oklahoma looks like a monster. TCU's pretty good. West Virginia's pretty good. But the heck, they're going to get USC coming to Austin. Uh, USC is pretty good. But if, if Texas improves, they're going to have a chance in that game. I think they can put some skins on the wall and get some wins and move forward from this. Uh, they are not hopeless. And I'll be interested to watch Maryland the rest of the way because maybe you do get a feeling that they've got something going on there. They've got some talent. They've got some experience. And uh, th- that team may be one of the surprise teams in the country. We'll see if they follow through with it. So I'm going to say, hopeful, that Texas will stop squeezing the rabbit to death. The Atlantic Coast Conference, Pat, the entire conference. Louisville, terrible. North Carolina, terrible. FSU, we already said terrible. Miami, terrible. That was a terrible weekend for those four. Obviously, Clemson is in the ACC. Virginia Tech looked terrific in beating uh, FSU. And let me note, since we just discussed Michigan too, and it's forever QB troubles. Virginia Tech was led by Josh Jackson, redshirt sophomore QB, started all 13 games last year. He looked terrific. His dad, Fred Jackson, was a longtime Michigan assistant coach. Josh grew up in the Ann Arbor kind of suburb of Saline, Michigan. He could be your quarterback, Wolverines. Harbaugh offered him as an Mm. athlete, and he went to Virginia Tech. You look all over for a quarterback, and he's sitting right there in Saline, Michigan. Anyway, Clemson and Virginia Tech look all right. We don't know about these other schools. They didn't play anybody. Um, But... Those four I mentioned at the beginning. What is your assessment of the ACC thus far? Hopeless or hopeful that uh, once we get past week one, it'll be Top to bottom, largely a train wreck, but hopeful because you do have Clemson. And obviously Virginia Tech played as well as anybody the first week. But, uh, I mean, the depth of the league looks atrocious. You mentioned North Carolina, Louisville, and uh, uh, Miami all played Power 5 non-conference opponents. All of them lost the combined halftime score of those three games, 72 to three. They were all dump trucked immediately. They were run over and spit out, and that was a really bad showing in general by the league. Uh, but I'm going to hold out hope that Clemson, you know, can represent the conference and be a heavyweight team. Now, the question is, you know, is there, does their overall strength of schedule? get hurt by playing in a bad league. I think they can survive that because they've got two non-conference games that can help them out this weekend against Texas A&M on the road, College Station, and then they close against South Carolina team that has the the markings of a pretty good team. So they're going to have some areas where they're playing 10 FBS opponents. They're going to have some chances uh, to win some quality games. But man, oh man, the league as a whole, lousy. Not loving the depth at the top. Uh, which is really when you can do it. In whatever this counts for, Notre Dame is sort of in the ACC. They'll play five league right. games. Uh, yep. They look pretty good. 
Um, so that can bolster some, some strength of schedules or whatever we got there. But uh, I'm going to go with still hopeful. Too, too early to write off an entire conference. But, uh, well, maybe. I might write off the next one as an entire <laughs> conference. But I'm not going to write off the ACC yet. Clemson's enough to keep that going. Next, Pac-12. <laughs> yes, that whole <laughs> conference. Washington lost to Auburn in Atlanta. Good game or, you know, decent loss. Tough to go in there. Uh, but that's going to hurt all year. It puts the Huskies in a decided disadvantage in making the playoff. UCLA and Arizona were upset. Other teams didn't look that great. Uh, two teams that do have a chance to win the league or have a chance to be top quality, Stanford and USC, play each other this weekend, which will put one of them in an early blemish. Uh, my issue, though, really is with the league office and Washington itself, which both of which got upset with ESPN broadcaster Mark Jones, who calls some of the games, a play-by-play guy mostly, uh, including some Washington games last year. He tweeted after the loss to Auburn, Washington Huskies took one on the chin. Where's Montana? Uh, Montana has not moved, <laughs> but uh, it was a dig at UW's early season last year schedule, which was quite easy, and they beat Montana. Now, as tweets go, that was not emotional, excessive, or inebriated. It seemed pretty soft criticism to me, uh, but maybe a play-by-play guy shouldn't say anything. He's supposed to be totally neutral. I don't know ESPN's policy. I don't really care. But the school and the conference complained to ESPN over that tweet. And Jones is now banned from calling Husky games this year. Uh, We've entered the blame the mean media stage of things, apparently, for the Washington Huskies in Pac-12. If that's your focus right now, that's really my issue. Who cares with that criticism? Where's Montana? Uh, comes up with. Pat, is this a sign of hopeless or is there still It's hope definitely a sign of hopeless. And yes, for the record, Montana is still east of Idaho, west of North Dakota and north of Wyoming, but also not on Washington's schedule. Well, Thank you. Uh, this is, it's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. The the rabbit ears and the, the bruised feelings from the conference. And I, it just blows me away. Now this is, this does go back to last year when there was basically an ongoing beef between Washington and ESPN over Washington's schedule. Maybe it was two years ago. I'm trying to remember. But anyway, like Curb Street took some shots at their schedule and everybody got bent out of shape. And, you know, there was kind of a... a, (laughs) I've been part of these things at ESPN where you're critical of something and somebody gets upset and goes upstairs and all of a sudden there's a be nice edict that gets put out. Uh, And I think Mark Jones violated the be nice edict here. Uh, But look, it's college Uh, sports. We don't have to be nice. We shouldn't have to be nice. Let's put it that way. Tennessee fans don't think I'm being very nice with them. They're upset with me. It's okay. We're all going to be okay. Washington's going to be okay. The Pac-12 should be okay with a very, very mundane, you know, low, low key ribbing tweet from, from Mark Jones. And yeah, this is a sign of, this is, this is what losers do. They want to change the subject. Change the subject from losing to somebody's being mean to us. The media's being unfair. Uh, get over it and get better. I, I get, Pac-12 is in trouble. There's no doubt about it. Washington, bad loss. I mean, they, they should have won the game. I will say that. I think it's. I think Washington's a good team. I think Washington might have been the better team, but just couldn't finish that, that game. Some key drives there. But terrible loss by Arizona. Bad loss by UCLA. 
there, there's, I think, issues in the Pac-12 South. The North, we'll see if Stanford, we'll see how good Stanford is. We'll see how good USC is in the South. But uh, that league is behind already, uh, and that's not a good place to be when you've already had credibility issues from last year. I think uh, Washington previously complained about getting a lot of primetime Pacific time zone games in the old uh, Pac-12 after right. dark uh, ESPN kind of strategy and saying that people weren't watching on the East Coast and they want to play during the day and the exposure's not good. Uh, I don't know. I see those games closing a lot of bars. Uh, you get a pretty good thing. And I mean, I guess Washington's going to recruit nationally, but I don't. I mean, I kind of think it, there are things about recruiting L.A. and San Francisco and uh, and, sure. and Seattle. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't know. It seemed again that seemed like a hey man, you're on, you're on prime time in the West Coast. That's that's not bad. Uh, so yeah, I think they got some work to do. It's precarious in the Pac-12. We will give hope, but yep. not a lot. So that's as that's as positive as we're <laughs> getting here. Uh, there'll be no be nice edict. I <laughs> if hope. there will be, we won't listen know. to it. Yahoo College f- Fantasy Football. That's right, College Fantasy. Football has arrived. 65 teams, five conferences, one fantasy. It looks, feels, and plays just like regular fantasy football, but it is 100% college. So get a league together, declare yourself eligible, and draft your true colors because Saturdays are about to become your newest fantasy tradition. Sign up now at yahoo.com slash college fantasy. All right, let's move to the football news of the day, and we're going to do this Sort of briefly, because I think we're all tired of this topic a little bit. But Colin Kaepernick is in a Nike commercial, which has set off some protests of the brand, even people burning their kicks on social media. Uh, As of this taping, Donald Trump hasn't weighed in yet, but I think we all know that will happen. Uh, It's a great wedge issue for him. He's on the popular side of this thing. And the NFL is hating it because it brings up player protest issue again. A nice plot twist for season three of a story that is otherwise quite stale. Uh, how about the colleges, though? Nike funds college athletics. It, it is the primary, uh, you know, the, the uh, league school-wide deals of all the major players. Player protests have been pretty rare at the college level. There are some, but most of them, mostly because most teams are in the locker room when the national anthem is played. I can see a lot of college fans being upset with Nike for running a uh, ad campaign with Colin Kaepernick. I don't think they're the target audience for for Nike anyway. But will they revolt against Nike, or are Alabama fans, for instance, just going to fall in line because Nike still supports the Crimson Tide? Is Nike kind of insulated here? Or is this going to be something that carries? Over I don't to think it carries over to college, Dan. I, you know, I think fine if you want to. Cut the swoosh off of your own Nike socks or not buy Nike socks or not buy Nike shoes. I've seen some people doing and even going to the dramatic extreme of burning their Nike shoes over Colin Kaepernick. Go ahead. That's fine. But I really would be surprised if it would create backlash for a university that has an apparel contract with Nike because I don't think fans care. I really, you know, they, they want their team to have all the recruiting advantages they can. And Nike generally is a recruiting advantage. And I don't think they're going to say, you know, as a matter of principle, because I hate Colin Kaepernick, we need to go with Adidas or Under Armour or whoever, Puma, and just give up our recruiting advantage here as a matter of principle. 
College fans don't think that way and don't operate that way. That's not going to happen. If Alabama is best served by wearing Nike, by golly, they're going to stay in Nike no matter whether uh, Colin Kaepernick is making commercials for them or not. I I don't think that's an issue. What do you think? 100% agree. I don't think it boils over. Um, I'm sure there'll be some people who are upset about it, but, like, you're going to take your sweet Alabama jersey and (laughs) burn it? It's like you you got to wear your stuff, right? I mean – and yeah, recruiting wins overall, and they made a deal with Colin. I don't. I actually don't think this story um, has the legs that maybe some people do. Um, we'll see, but I, I don't. I don't see it. I mean, what are you going to do? It's a big company, and uh, they make different deals. Um, the NFL is not college football; it's football, but it's not quite the same. I mean, if they, you know, <clears throat> when they stuck with Kobe Bryant after he was accused of sexual assault. Did, you know, basketball teams suddenly give up their, you know, I mean, it, this is what Nike does. So I don't think it's going to have a big a- impact. I think uh, a couple shoes will get burned on social media. And uh, yeah, if you don't like Nike, uh, you get to vote with your yeah. with your wallet. That's the beauty Absolutely. of America. All right. Not a not a great week of games this week. A uh, little depressing because you get all revved up for the season to get going. And then here we are. Um, there's a few. Uh, here are the, here's the most intriguing to me, though. Clemson visits Texas A&M. Monster game. It will be an incredible environment in College Station. And I just think this is an absolutely huge opportunity for Jimbo Fisher, the Aggie $75 million man. Uh, I know Clemson is Clemson, but if A&M can pull this off, it is just a big splash. And the one thing that Jimbo did inherit at Texas A&M is talent. Kevin Sumlin recruited well. I looked this up from Rivals.com, and the average uh, class rank in the in years 2014 to 17, so it's basically your seniors, juniors, you know, 50-year uh, guys to to sophomores. The average Rivals.com top 25 finish at each school. Clemson was at 11.25. A&M was actually higher at 10.75. Now, those are inexact, but there are the bodies in College Station to compete with Clemson. So uh, I want to know what you think. If A&M can win or even battle this to the end, and it's an exciting game. Everyone's going to be watching. Uh, I think it can do for Jimbo what the Johnny Manziel upset over Alabama did for the program when Kevin Sumlin was there. Now, they capitalized in certain ways on that. The brand became huge. They rebuilt their stadium. They had tons of donations. They didn't translate on the field, but this might be that kind of step. I just think this is a fascinating game if A&M can no make it. No doubt. I agree with you. that uh, It's a, an incredible opportunity. It's, it's you know, kind of the, the, the kind of game where at least you're not, <clears throat> you're not trying to overthrow Alabama here. But if you can beat the only team that really a lot of people think is on par with Alabama year over year over the last, say, three or four years, uh, that's, a, that's a huge step forward. And, and A&M looked really good. Now, they were playing nobody in the first game, but they set a school record for total offense had the most yards of anybody in the country through week one, 758 yards. Uh, so there's a belief that, yes, Jimbo has weapons to work with. They've got players. They've got personnel. Uh, you bring in a Clemson team that uh, that is, you know, really, really good. But Kelly Bryant is the starting quarterback, and <clears throat> he hit his ceiling last year in that playoff game against A&M. They bring in Trevor Lawrence, who's the most celebrated high school player he doesn't beat out Bryant, but he plays a lot in the opener. Now, are you going to throw a true freshman in in front of 100,000 on the road at College Station and say, 
go win this for us or not. So uh, some real things for Dabo to think about. But for Jimbo, yeah, look, he's got a long history with Clemson. He knows what he's up against. He knows the way Dabo Swinney likes to call a game. He knows the way Brent Venables likes to call a game. Uh, fascinating, really, uh, set up for this game. And uh, I, I think Clemson will be up against it, but we'll be the better team. But we'll see what Jimbo's got in store for him. A&M wins this game, and Texas is struggling. And Yeah. Whew, that, is a, that is a statement. Now, still got to do it, though. And, and kudos to well, both these programs for scheduling this game. Um, and, and continued kudos to Clemson, which will continue, even though it has South Carolina waiting at the end of the year. Uh, is just really aggressive in these games. They'll go play games, and it's it's fun because this without this, uh, this weekend's a lot less fun. A uh, couple more. Georgia visits South Carolina. Uh, SEC action. They always play early in September. Um, I think it was uh, Spurrier once had the great line. I like playing Georgia early because a lot of their players are still suspended <laughs> for the game. Classic Spurrier. <laughs> it was a classic. Um, South Carolina's got some hype right now. Um, a lot of people are very high on the Gamecocks. Can they handle Georgia though? No, Pat? I think that's too much to ask. Uh, now, Hey, they were, they were good in their opener, but their opener was against coastal Carolina. The one thing there, they threw the ball really well. Um, <clears throat> their in-game efficiency rating was the highest they have had in a game for in throwing for a hundred or I'm sorry, for five years, uh, their rating was a one, one eighty nine. But it was the highest they've had in a game in five years. So it looks like with Jake Bentley, who's a third-year starter quarterback, they've kind of got it going on that side of the ball. Debo Samuel had been receiver. He'd been hurt last year. He's back. Uh, so they've got some playmakers. Uh, but Georgia, you know, they, they're on a different level than everybody else in the SEC East. I uh, didn't see anything in their first game to suggest otherwise. And I think they're kind of spoiling for the challenge here. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a rivalry game, and they've they've certainly paid attention to the hype for South Carolina. Uh, and I think they'd look forward to putting South Carolina back in its place. Other one, uh, and I love this game, Penn State at Pitt. Penn State stumbles into Pitt after surviving Appalachian State in overtime. Uh, not a great debut for the Nittany Lions, but a win is a win. Uh, again, love this rivalry. Uh, lots of Pitt hate. Lots of Penn State snobbery, lots of uh, just just a lot of Pennsylvania here. Get yourself a Permonte Brothers sandwich and a, and a cold Iron City beer and just let let the anger go. Uh, a win, obviously, would mean a ton to Pitt. A loss by Penn State would be devastating. A win would set them up fine, and uh, I think everyone would forget Appalachian State. Great game. What are your thoughts here on, on this one where um, – the, the anger and hatred is very localized, but uh, it can seep out. I don't think it gets the attention nationally, but oh, yeah. it's no, real. No, no, I, I like this rivalry. I like when they play each other. Um, there is no doubt that they, they two very different fan bases, two different universities, two different approaches, basically, which always makes that contrast makes for the tension there. And, and both sides have been able to get the, the better of the other on occasion, so... I like it when they play. I like it when they're both good. I'm not sure Pittsburgh is good. They won their opener against nobody. Uh, you know, and they didn't look overwhelming doing so. Uh, Albany, they beat 33-7 to seven, uh, in front of a measly 34,000 fans. I, they will have a lot more than that this week when Penn State comes in there. I don't expect uh, Penn State to – I'm sorry, I don't expect Pittsburgh to win. But, boy, oh, boy, Penn State showed some weaknesses for sure. 
They gave up 28 points in the fourth quarter to Appalachian State. I mean, Appalachian State, it's a good program. I talked to Coach Scott Satterfield on Monday. He said he hadn't slept for two days since the game because they let that one get away. And he's done a really good job there. But still, it's Appalachian State and you're Penn State and you're playing at home. That should never happen that you give up 28 in the fourth quarter. So they got some real concerns, I think, defensively. They also, they still really haven't replaced Saquon Barkley, which is understandable because he's a once-a-generation type talent. But uh, this, I think, will be a close game. Uh, if Penn State loses, I agree, yes. It would be a really, really bad loss. If, Penn, if Pittsburgh can win, it would make Pat Narduzzi's tenure there at Pitt. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I would expect the Nittany Lions to prevail. We discussed my uh, team of the week on uh, Monday's overreaction pod, and it was the Akron Zips. Their game in Nebraska was canceled Saturday due to thunder and lightning, and they declined to stick around Lincoln and play on Sunday. They said they couldn't get a hotel room. Nebraska offered some student dorms and like a couple haylofts <laughs> outside of North Platte or something for people to stay in. I don't know. Akron <clears throat> skipped town. Uh, now there is a little dispute over whether Akron deserves its full $1.17 million appearance fee. Uh, and this is gets awesome, okay? This is the best story going in college football. Nebraska released the game contract, and there is a clause for cancellation. Uh, but you got to listen to this. It appears the Nebraska lawyers prepared for almost everything in a cancellation. I quote, this agreement shall be void in the event it becomes impossible to play the game by reasons of disaster, fire, <laughs> hurricane, <laughs> tropical storm, earthquake, war, war active terrorism. Oh, we're not done. Invasion. Invasion, Pat. Hostilities. I think that's just Bo Pelini returning. Hostilities. What is that? Okay, wait, not done. Rebellion. In Insurrection. <laughs> Confiscation by order of government. Confiscation of what? Footballs. They take the footballs, you okay. can't play. Yeah. Now, the issue is the term tropical storm rather than just storm. The game was canceled by storm, but it was not a tropical storm. According to the That's weather, that's a surprise chain. there in Lincoln, Nebraska, that it wasn't so, a tropical storm. Yeah, yeah, the lawyers may have screwed up, and that may cost Nebraska. However, props to the Nebraska lawyers. Like a hurricane in Nebraska, <laughs> like what? Every year, games get canceled because of thunder and lightning, so they should have known that one. But they were preparing for anything. Invasion. I mean, who is invading Nebraska? What? What would Nebraska have to do to so piss South, Car <laughs> South Dakota off that they invaded? Uh, I can't imagine. What is an insurrection? <laughs> Go ahead. What? Uh, Hopeless or hopeful on the Nebraska <laughs> lawyers, Pat? We should have put them in the Super first hopeful. On the Super hopeful on the lawyers. I mean, that's like, could you imagine the <laughs> meeting where they're sitting around coming up? All right, now what's... You know, throw everything out there that could possibly cancel a game. Uh, insurrection. Yeah, good, good. All right. Rebellion. Yes. 
Who's insurrecting? <laughs> What's the difference? Would they have to have a meeting later? Was, okay, we got, like, the city of Omaha fought us. <laughs> like, they invaded us, like an old Greek city. Is that an insurrection? Is that a rebellion? Did we have, like, I don't, I don't even know what these words really I, the, mean. Like, the farmers come in on their trucks from Ogallala and, and then their tractors, and they say, we're taking over <laughs> here. That's an insurrection. That is your insurrection. The government will seize? <laughs> This is, I don't know. Anyway, we're going to keep, we'll have our legal department this, this, keep up on this because there's 1.1 million either heading to Akron. Let me tell you something. Like I, I once had a bookie down there. If you, they owe you, you owe them money. Look out, they, Nebraska. They need their 1.1 million. Guard your kneecaps. That, this could be an ongoing saga. I like they the potential. This, yeah. <laughs> this is an ongoing yeah. saga. They mean business in Akron. I, if you owe them money. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, all right. This is a college podcast, not just college football, college sports. So I think we would be amiss, particularly in this literary edition of the podcast, not to mention that Rick Patino has a mm. book coming out titled My Story. Uh, it should probably be titled I Don't Know Anything. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. He's going to tell the truth about everything, he promises. Pat, uh, who the hell is buying this book? Nobody. Nobody, nobody, and nobody. <laughs> uh, I, I I know that Patino obviously is still stewing, like, uh, what are we now, 11 months after being fired, and uh, believes that it was unjust and that there was a grand conspiracy against him, and he wanted to uh, outline the conspiracy which I don't know whether that conspiracy does catalog the fact that, A, there was a personal scandal on his watch, and then, B, there were the hookers and strippers in the dorms, and then, C, there are the federal wiretaps of his assistant coach talking about paying players to come to Louisville. Cumulative effect of those tells me his own staff and his own self were out to get him, not anybody else, and trying to construe it otherwise is a little bit of a fanciful thinking. But I think this is like Rick's 29th book or so. And I, full disclosure, I wrote one of them. I, I'm not sure anybody out there still has an yeah. appetite for Rick Bettino books. But hey, it's there if you want it. You can get Pat's in the bargain yeah. basement bin. I actually may read this just because the, the, the spite that'll be coming out of every sentence. An angry Rick Bettino ranting in his book. This actually could be pretty good. I hope it is. A, I like it. I might do it. I'll get on Amazon later. Yahoo College Fantasy Football has arrived. 65 teams, five conferences, one fantasy. Looks, feels, and plays just like regular fantasy football, but with 100% college. Sign up, yahoo.com slash college fantasy. Uh, Pat, as you uh, know, and many of our listeners do on our old Wetzel to 40 show, we often gave relationship advice to our younger listeners. Couple old uh, souls like ourselves thought we could help out. I think we had a mailbag segment. Uh, it often went off the rails. So in that spirit, you found a story of a guy in Scotland who decided to propose to his girlfriend by leading her out into a pasture and having a cow there with the phrase, will you marry me, painted on its <laughs> side. Many of our listeners are, you know, 20s, 30s. They might be ready to settle down. Make the big question to just that right person. Uh, you live in Kentucky, so maybe you know something about cows. I know that I like to eat them. Is this romantic? <laughs> Where on the 40 scale does this rank? 
it's I mean, this guy might as well be uh, like, you know, he might as he should probably be hosting a podcast on relationship advice himself. He's the the, the most romantic devil I have ever heard of. Uh, I'm kind of with you cows. I prefer this. Oh, by the way, it spray painted her favorite cow is on on the side of her favorite cow. Will you marry me? My favorite cow's curly top. OK, name my, of the cow. my favorite curly cow's top. name is medium rare. Uh, this was a, <laughs> a, a, a devilishly clever idea. Apparently it worked. Um, yeah, here, you know what? We used to have the, we used to have the Said future yes. farmers of America con- national convention in Louisville. And I would think that that group would just swoon collectively over this brainstorm. Maybe this will sweep the, uh, the rural parts of America where cows will become the vehicle by which people get engaged. I don't know. Uh, wouldn't really work for me, but you know what? If it if they've got this guy hitched, good for him. I guess you just got to know your know your, That's right. your bride. Yeah, she likes curly top the cow. Then uh, then do it. I uh, I don't know. I think we could do a little bit better. I do recall it was a few years ago a guy uh, asked his girlfriend to marry him at a at a Celtics yeah, game, yeah. Boston Celtics game, which is not uncommon. A lot of stadium proposals, but it was done during a preseason <laughs> game. Yeah, and Brad. Brad Stevens is right by the Celtics bench and Brad Stevens noticed it and afterwards said, I mean, I'm happy for the couple, but dude, come back for the regular season. I mean, you can at least spring for the real thing. And, uh, I hope that couple's still married, but that's a sign of cheapskate right there. I mean, I don't even know if that's legal that that engagement. That, if it's at a pre, that's NBA the same as taking game. your your wife on fa- on uh, your your anniversary dinner to to IHOP, right? No, that's right. We did have one of those too. Should you go to IHOP on? I think that was Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. That was it. That Can was you do it. IHOP on that? We'll, yeah. Uh, hit us up on Twitter uh, at Yahoo Forty or at Dan Wetzel. You can uh, if you have any relationship questions, we can solve. Uh, we're happy to do it. All right, finally, uh, to end the podcast, this is from the world of true crime, Pat. Uh, It occurred at a shopping mall in Henrico County, Virginia. Uh, Go Hokies. Uh, No, actually, that's right by Richmond. Uh, So I want to know what you would do here. The Henrico, Henrico, I don't know how to say the county. Police were called to the K Jewelers at the Short Pump Town Center on Monday to investigate a man accused of disturbing the peace. The man, according to witnesses, was yelling profanities at shoppers. He's just sitting there <laughs> swearing at them. But but the man was not alone. According to witnesses, the man was actually a ventriloquist using a puppet <laughs> to yell at the yelling shoppers. So he's holding the puppet, his mouth is closed, and the puppet is swearing at people fellow shoppers at the uh, Short Pump Town Center by the K Jewelers right there, right in the corner. K Jewelers always on the corner. Um, would you call the cops, Pat, or would you have just gone and got a Cinnabon, pulled up a chair, and enjoyed the show? <laughs> Definitely the latter, for sure. That's <laughs> uh, a bit of passive-aggressive genius from this guy, you know? I mean, it's like, I, I'm not the one swearing. It's the puppet, you know, it's the puppet here doing the swearing. Uh <laughs> I'm impressed. You know, he's got plausible deniability. He's completely wacko. Yes, I would I would go into Dick's Sporting Goods, buy my chair, I would go to Cinnabon, I would buy my Cinnabon. Uh what what other what other, you know, staples do we have of that sort of thing? The 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 chain marketing. Uh 
give me one more and I'll I would sit there all day watching this guy. Cell phone cell yeah, phone cover. Yeah, yeah. Get, get your stuff. Uh I'm that's excessive emotional and inebriated, <laughs> I think, is his defense. Depending how good of a ventriloquist is, there's like he could point to the security tape <laughs> and say, You got you don't have me moving my lips. There's no proof. See, that's I think it was kind of an ingenious little little bit. I certainly would have just laughed so hard. He could if you if you see me at your local mall and you are a ventriloquist, feel free to have your puppet <laughs> swear at me. I will not be upset. I will I will lay it. All right. Uh Pat and Pete's race for the case will come out later this week uh where they uh pick uh pick the games for this weekend and battle over a case of beer. Uh, plus, there'll be a bonus podcast with Pete Thamel talking to University of Georgia basketball coach Tom Crean about football and football coaches. His brothers-in-law are, of course, Jim and John Harbaugh. Uh, so subscribe to the podcast. You won't miss anything. Leave us a nice review. This thing is popping. Tell your friends about it. We're doing well on the charts, but uh, we need your help. Uh, so please do that. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will talk to you all soon. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.